I think I've been sick again. I don't know. I've been tired. It's been, I don't know. Like, I think I got like spinal bifida or something like that. Like, something wrong with my staphylococcus. Like, shut the fuck up, man. You're making that. You're just, now you're just making shit up, right? No. No, no. Those are real things. I'm serious. I think I have them. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah, yeah. I think that, that's probably my favorite part of uh, the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. All you need is love. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. Nothing you can do that can't be done. There's nothing you can sing that can't be sung. What does that even mean? Nowhere you can be that you were meant to be inside. It's easy. All you need is love. All you need is love. And then in the end, the chorus in the end. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Paul, of course. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so distinctive, the Beatles. The the two, well, the, the Lennon-McCartney thing, you know, the two, two of the most prolific songwriters of all time. You know, even though George was a great songwriter as well, he was only allocated one song per album. Poor George. But uh, never more present, never more apparent... Uh, with Lennon and McCartney than on um, A Day in the Life, you know. I read the news today, oh boy, about a lucky man who made the grade. You know, the whole somber part with John singing. And then in the middle, kind of in the bridge, it's kind of like then Paul chimes in, woke up, fell out of bed. Dragged a comb across my head. Found my way downstairs and drank a cup. Looking up, I noticed I was late. Grabbed my coat, found my hat. Made the bus in seconds flat. Found my way upstairs and had a smoke. And somebody spoke and I went into a dream. See that? The dark and the light. The dark and the light. Lennon and McCartney, the dark and the light, you know, leave it to Paul, Paul's always kind of like, he's always a happy-go-lucky guy, you know, like when they decided they were going to take acid and all that stuff, you know, that's all John's doing, of course, the, the, the dark, mysterious one, you know, darker even than, uh, than, uh, yeah, than George, I mean, George was the dark horse, but Lennon was really the dark one, you know, but, so when they were going to take LSD, Paul's like, I don't know about that, but he did it anyway, and he had a good time, but, you know, Paul was all about just smoking weed and just singing about love, and, you know, he loved, uh, you know, he was more like, you know, well, they all were kind of, but, you know, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, you know, Paul was always, woo, you know, doing like throwing in one of those, woo, <laughs> you know, and all those, the old... The old songs. Well, 
I've found, or it's been determined that my mood is primarily dictated, well, if I'm not sick. If I'm sick, I'm just kind of like, I, I, it's like a personal recognition that I, this could be, this is the way I was going to die. I knew it. And I knew that day would come and that day was today, but that's if I get sick, which I thought, I, I think I was, I had like the staphylococcus or a, a broken staphylococcus or something, spinal bifida, but, but, um, but my mood is dictated by my, my music or the music I listen to rather more specifically. Right. Um, so like if I'm feeling like, um, subversive or contemplative, you know, that's where the police come in. Right. And, or, or the Beatles, you know, but the Beatles are more like, I can, I don't know. I like, I get in a mood with the, I forgot, you know, like here I am, I'm, I'm pulling up, I'm dredging up all these songs, these bands, these performers, these new art, you know, uh, kind of obscure artists. And, you know, I was listening to like the lizard wizard and the, you know, um, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. <laughs> like, that's that's kind of a new one I've been listening to. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Which they got a, they had a little write-up I saw in uh, one of the music magazines about uh, how they're kind of a force to reckon with all of a sudden. But but I forgot about the, the motherfucking Beatles. I mean, music kind of... It, would it be the same? You know, and they were only together a few years, right? 63 to 69, is that right? Five years? Something like that, 60. They landed in, they landed in, in New York for the first time after going number one. They, I, I think it was that they didn't want to come to America until they were at a number one, and they finally got number one. Kennedy had just been assassinated in November of 63. So, yeah, they came in 60... Uh, December of 60... Was it December of 63? Like the song goes, December 1963, we thought the world would freeze with John F. Kennedy and the Beatles. Yeah, so they landed in 63 is when they, yeah, when they, and they went on the Ed Sullivan show and all that, all that, you just, pandemonium, right? You know, people just fucking throwing chairs out the window, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, right? But it got to a point like where only a couple of years later, 65, was that the last time that they, in Shea Stadium, the last time they performed live, they couldn't even hear themselves. They couldn't even hear themselves play. It was so, like, that band was so tight, you know, from playing in, in Germany so much in, in uh, 63, 60, yeah, like, before they before they got big, you know, they were they through just playing hours and hours and hours and hours together in little clubs in Hamburg, Germany. 
And then when they came back to, to England, they just fucking blew everybody away. Like, what the fuck? What, what happened to you guys? What, ha- you know? And, um, they, and then they just created, a, you know, this colossal pandemonium worldwide, you know? And, uh, just go, I mean, it would hard, be hard to imagine like the schedule that these guys kept, right? Cause it was just go, 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 go. And so finally, yeah. Yeah. I think it was 65. They went to play Shea stadium in New York. They couldn't even hear their own instruments. The, the, the crowd was so loud. So they stopped touring. Right. And they just went into the studio. Like they stopped, like they did, they would, after 65, they never toured. Their last live performance was on top of Apple Records in 69, I think it was, right? When they all just came up and did an impromptu live show on top of Apple Records. How crazy, huh? You know, John's got that big giant woolly jacket on and it's like freezing out and the wind's blowing and they're, you know. He's singing, don't let me down, you know, fucking crazy. But in times of, in times of, in time, I find, I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. No, in times of distress, I just ask myself, well, what would Sir Paul do? Paul McCartney, like the cheeriest guy, like this guy has no beef with anybody, right? None. He's the fucking man, right? I mean, he, this is, and this is a guy that's got kind of, you know, he got taken by that one-legged girl, right? You know, he was, uh, you know, she was, without, without being too judgmental, she seemed like kind of a one-legged harpy of sorts, right? And, you know, with all the other chaos going on in the world right now, and the Royals attacking each other. Harry's at it. Fighting with his brother. It's tragic. Those guys, those two guys seem like cool. Like the two of them would seem like they'd be fun to hang out with. You know, William seems to be a little more rigid, but you know, but fun loving, you know, because he had his partying days. And, and then Harry, of course, of course he was definitely, he was definitely a partier, but they, but they, they both served in the military. You know, they did their service. They did, you know, they're, they just get, kind of choked out sometimes by life and like by the weird machinations of an aristocracy that is kind of doesn't, I don't know, hasn't really got, you know, it hasn't really adapted to like normal present day life. It's all stuck in its old antiquated, weird, traditional ways, right? They're kind of at its mercy, those guys. But then you got Paul McCartney, Sir Paul, just fucking... Just dropping in, hanging out Taylor with, with Taylor Swift or, um, you know, Dave Grohl, just kicking it with Dave. Like, what the fuck? Like, Paul, Sir Paul, he's the best. He's the fucking best, right? And and he's always, he's just always, always got a, f- just a positive take. Like, it's, you know, I think that one-legged harpy took like a billion dollars from him. And he didn't give a fuck. He's like, all right. All right, love. All right, love. All right. Cheers. Cheers, love. But, um, 
Yeah. So I had a, yeah, I've been, so I've been worn out. I've been, I, but I think it was, like I said, I think I, I had something, maybe I got this new strain of COVID. I had COVID for like 20 minutes or something, right? Or something. I would just, cause I know it wasn't general, it wasn't a regular fatigue, you know, like you'd get like a lag time in the middle of the day. Like it wasn't anything like that. It was just kind of a, an overall kind of gloom and malaise that kind of set in, but it kind of, but it, but then, um, I kind of shook it off like, uh, Saturday night. Um, I kind of was, I was a little toasty on Friday and I kind of, um, said some, I don't know, I guess I said some sideways stuff to my lady. Um, just in the throes of being a a worn out, just crispy little critter. And I regret that. I wasn't doing what Sir Paul would do. What would WW SPMD, right? What would Sir Paul McCartney do? Why do I call him Sir? I don't even know, man. Um, but but yeah, so my lady and I we uh had a little eh, little disagreement. I mean, I thought it was resolved until she, I don't know, she upped the ante. She needed a little mental health time. She took, uh, she took uh, Saturday night to go take some time out on her own. And my, at that point, Sir Paul would have said, go take your mental health time. Go whatever that means, whatever that takes, because your health is the most important. And that's what I, that's what I, that's what I think. But I'm also not, I don't have the 70 plus year old septuagenarian wisdom of Paul McCartney who's seen and done it all I mean quite literally probably knows everybody knew everybody no yeah everybody like literally everybody and uh he would have said oh all right love cheers love but not me like what do you mean what do you mean what do you mean you need to go take a mental health night (laughs) like fucking just just let her go man let her go do her thing and that is that is my basis, you know, for 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 uh, for my own personal clarity, my own personal uh, resolution. I just want my lady to be healthy, okay, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, in all forms, but healthy, healthy, right? I mean, I don't, I don't foster the. I don't need, you know, the Tybo chick, the, the, the fucking Pilates girl, you know, who leads a spin class. I don't, it's not, that ain't me. I like a, I like, I like a, a cherubic boudoir-esque hourglass, you know, healthy, full-figured lady right that owns it that just owns it and that's it, but that that wasn't even that wasn't even the point of contention as much as it was just me being you know just grumbly because i had like uh, spinal bifida right i broke my staphylococcus i broke my caucus but nevertheless so where are you going with all this dum dum i'll i'll tell you well uh, Friday, cause Friday I was, because dra- I, I met, I met my lady with, 
for lunch, along with my producer daughter, and uh, it was a brief little, a brief little sojourn, but um, I was, I was just tired and I was clammy, and I I left abruptly, and it probably I don't know, I probably seemed like I was a little short, but I, I wasn't. It just was. I wanted to get the day over. I just really wanted to get the day over with, you know. But from there I left. I went. I was on my way to my last stop of the day, and I stopped in at the library. I was looking for inspiration, and and uh, the real inspiration came from. Well, I was just. I wanted to find a book. Well, first of all, okay. So my luck's run out with my Charles Bukowski book, uh, uh, the one on drinking, it's called on drinking, which I've been checking out since March, rechecking out, which I don't have. I just recheck it out online and I don't have it in my possession. So because it's a new year, a new calendar year, and I've run out of renewals, I guess you get, you can renew everything all year until the next calendar year. And then that's it. Like tough shit. So now I've got to produce the book. So when I'm, I was in the library and I'm looking, I'm kind of look, like I say, I'm looking for inspiration. And the first book I found, I think it was, what was it called? It was called, uh, uh, bones, blood and butter, blood, bones, and butter. Yes. Blood, bones, and butter. Damn it. So it looked like a really interesting book. It had high praise from uh, the cover. The jacket cover had a, a little blurb with Anthony Bourdain and even uh, uh, Daniel Balud on the back, who's a legend of French. I mean, he's like the he's like the Elvis Presley of French cooking and this, uh, but this was written by a woman by the name of Gabrielle Hamilton, who, um, she was a, well, according to her, an inadvert the inadvertent education of a reluctant chef. And I was like, wow, this is kind of, she, uh, she was, uh, she has like a master's in, uh, writing from Michigan, I believe. But she's also, she also has a restaurant and, uh, I was so close, but I like, ah, oh, fuck. That means I gotta, that means I gotta own up to like the, the book that I'm missing <laughs> that I don't have, that I gotta pay for now. So like, uh, how bad do I want to read this book? How much, how bad do I want to check it out? And, um, so I moved on <laughs> and I went, I found, and then I found a, um, I found, um, a biography of Sam Shepard. I thought, whoa, wow. I've always been fascinated by Sam Shepard. You know, his playwright days. Uh, of course, we're talking about the same Sam Shepard who was nominated for uh, an Academy Award playing Chuck Yeager in The Right Stuff. The movie directed by Philip Kaufman based on the book by Tom Wolfe. And, um, of course, he was in Days of Heaven. He helped write scripts for... Uh, What's his name? Michelangelo Antonioni. Um, 
you know, avant-garde Italian film films that take place like in Death Valley, just strange, odd stuff. Like he's such an odd, he was such an odd person, um, such an indefinable person that I thought, wow, what a fascinating biography. But I, but, uh, but no, uh, I, I, I still had to reckon with the whole issue with this book that I've had checked out since March that doesn't exist. <laughs> it's, you can see where I'm, you can see the dilemma I'm in, right? But, um, so I, I didn't end up checking anything out. Okay. Um, I needed inspiration though. I just needed inspiration and it's hard, but as I was scrolling through my, um, my feed, my Instagram feed, I, um, or no, it was maybe the news I saw. No, maybe it was Instagram feed first, but anyway, so the, the restaurant dubbed greatest in the world, four out of five years or something, you know, whatever it was, Noma in Copenhagen, Denmark is closing. They're closing their doors. And I'm like, whoa. But it's not as shocking as it sounds because this guy is to me Redzeppi, Rene Redzeppi, the the proprietor, owner, founder, uh, weirdo genius, forager, fermenter. Um, has decided that the business model doesn't work. And I guess, yeah, probably not. Even though, you know, you pay three, $400 per person. Like, it's still not a, for, excuse me, for various reasons, it's not a working business model. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And uh, because the, you know, Take, for example, just um, the amount of people that are there that, you know, he, he's had backlash over for using unpaid interns or pay or getting paid very little, which is all it. Well, it's always been the case, whether you agree with it or not. It's always he himself has put himself through, you know, self-imposed internships at the French Laundry and El Bulli, probably unpaid, didn't have anywhere to, you know, where do you how do you live? You know, you, you have food to eat working in a restaurant. You're, if you can procure some shelter, then you've got something, but you know, it's not lucrative. It's if you're getting paid, it's not very much, but you're learning. And then when you, if you have the right wherewithal and resources to use this knowledge, then you create something like Noma and then Noma becomes the greatest restaurant in the world. Four out of five years or something like that. And they kind of, um, they kind of become, I don't know, kind of a standard bear or an innovator of sorts, you know, with their fermentation and their foraging and their use of local uh, foraged produce, you know, and, um, and just the resourcefulness. But the idea being, from my understanding, is that they're going to, it's still going to exist, but it's going to exist just as a fermentation lab 
an, an experimentation lab because they're still going to create meals. The meals then are going to be basically what it, what it amounts to is like on Saturday nights, they have this thing called, it's called Saturday night, like, uh, what's it called? Like Saturday night competition or Saturday, uh, Saturday night, uh, something like a, it's a basically like after service. So these guys have been on their feet all day, killing it, just making these extraordinary like works of art that are just, you're almost afraid to eat. But then it, and the servers, and you got to give it up for the servers too. Like, because like to be a server, there is not just, it's not like being a server, say it like, you know, uh, Chili's it'd be more like, you know, you, there's things that you have to, uh, prepare, prep, um, help take shape. You have to know, I mean, and this stuff is changing on the daily, uh, menus are changing, uh, uh, coordination, uh, the, the, the presentation. So you, as a server, you have to be in on all this and you have to be able to create things and know exactly kind of where the chef was coming from to explain it to the diners. And, uh, so, you know, I know they don't work for free and they're not unpaid interns or very, they're, paid very well. So the business model may not add up. I also read this morning that, um, per se in New York, which is run now by, um, Thomas Keller of, you know, formerly of the French laundry is up in their prices from like, I think it was $400 a head to like $500 a head, something like that. And because it's not, it's not a sustainable, I mean, the rents are crazy for one. I mean, in New York, of course, you know, it's outrageous, but I mean, rents in general are just over the top. Then you're paying that staff that has to be in on everything. You know, you're paying servers to be in on your concepts on top of the staff, the chefs, the sous chefs, the, you know, the pastry chefs, the whole, you know, the kitchen staff. I mean, it's, it, it, it takes skill and it takes a lot like you have to be invested. So all that costs money. And even at $300 a plate, it wasn't a sustainable business model. But what they're doing is they're, they're keep, I guess they're keeping the, the property and they're using that for fermentation labs and innovation, you know, creating new meals like they would do on Saturday nights after service, after they're exhausted, you know, uh, well into midnight, you know, like that's hardcore stuff. Like, like I said, you have to be invested. Like this is, you know, this is a way of life now, right? And, uh, but what they're, I guess what they're doing ultimately is they're going to turn, it's going to be pop-ups. Like if you ever eat, if you ever get the opportunity to eat the food, it will be in a pop-up, wherever that pop-up happens. If it's going to be, you know, in another country or in another part of Denmark or in another part of Europe, um, which is, I think, fascinating, and I think it's a great. I think it's cool. I think it's, he's he's just that guy. He broke it down. He shut it down. It's unsustainable. It's like the Beatles at Shea Stadium. It's like, it's it's, you can't hear your own instruments. It's unsustainable. It can't. We can't move forward in this, in this way, right? So he's he's reinvented himself, much like the Beatles did. So, which is you know to think of a band that just never toured like there's that's not very you know i can only think of a handful like uh harry harry nielsen never he never toured 
uh, I don't think uh, Steely Dan never, never toured either. It was all al albums, just this albums, concept albums. So, um, so that being said, so Friday, I, you know, I, I suffered through Friday. Um, and, uh, the rain just, it just kept coming. The rain wasn't, wasn't going to stop. <laughs> so, so cooped up in the house, it's kind of, it's tough because, um, well, not necessarily cooped up, but, um, not, not, not overly jubilantly ready to go out and tackle the world when it just keeps raining. I was going, my son was going to come up and hang out and I, I kind of called that off the last minute. So Saturday morning I pick up moms, we go up to see pops, go up to Grass Valley. We drive through the sleet and the rain and the storms and the pools of water of down trees and so forth. But this is a, you know, it, that's, at this point now, I'm listening to my, I'm listening to the Beatles. I'm listening to my, my, and you know, it's a perfect little, it's a perfect little, mm, it's just perfect because my mom knows the Beatles. I know the Beatles. We're, we're, we're cool with the Beatles. We're just jamming to the Beatles, the Beatles, 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 right? And, uh, made it up to Grass Valley. Pops is doing all right. He's just kicking it up there, Grass Valley style. And uh, and and I, I just feel like it's necessary to take my mom out there because you know it's gonna. I think tomorrow is their sixteenth, uh, seventeenth. Yeah, I think tomorrow is their fifty second wedding anniversary. And yeah, they got married in January. It's a weird story. But, uh, and then I was, and then I showed up th mm, three months later. So I was at the wedding. I had a front row seat. And, but they've been married for 50, it'll be 52 years. Like, that's crazy. So you, by osmosis, like, I just kind of have this, like, and they did everything together. Like, they would all, you know, they, that's kind of, a, I, I try and, you know, I always invite, I want my lady to go to lunch with me. I love going out to lunch with my, and she's like, you know, I get, you know, it can be boring. You know, it can be kind of predictable, you know, and I get that. And it is, but it's also time spent with your significant other, your spouse, your loved one, your confidant, right? And uh, she did, and she doesn't, I mean, she gets tired of me watching football sometimes. And I get that too. I mean, it's kind of like, eh. But it's it is the playoffs. I mean, but uh, but that was kind of the maybe the point of contention too is my lady coming out of like a she came out of a real dark period this last year. It was a real dark. It was a rough year for her, and I I try to be there and I try to kind of support her. I try to give her kind of mm, positive vibes, good energy. Try and get her pal around with me as much as possible I try and because I'm I'm a I'm a creature of habit now and so that's what keeps me in line that's what keeps me that's what keeps me kind of in in a in a healthier groove than the not is 
being accountable to myself each morning for getting out of my hike, doing my stupid French lessons, whether or not I ever make it to France, I don't know, but it's a cognitive thing so that I don't, so I can hold off dementia, you know, eating right. And I try, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it ain't easy. I think as I added a little bit of strength training recently, that's what kind of did me in. That's what kind of made me kind of, kind of not rung my bell, but it knocked me down a little. I feel it. I can feel it. And I think it made me susceptible to fatigue. And then the fatigue, it changes my fatigue changes your attitude. So that was the point of contention we had Saturday night. After we got back, I dropped moms off and, uh, my lady was, she had to go down to Tracy. When she got back, she said, I'm going out for a mental health night. Okay. Well, that was odd. Cause I, I'm always wanting to take her out. And this was a little bit of a shock, but again, I had to ask myself, what would Paul McCartney do? Cheers, love. Well, it's, it didn't actually go down quite like that. There was a bit of like jawing back and forth. And, um, but in the end, when the dust settled, we were still good. We were still, still simpatico and uh i just uh i i became un paul mccartney-ish for just a brief moment and then i settled back down and and then after that i was fine and but the reality is like you just gotta i don't know you gotta let things happen like i think maybe by like i say by osmosis i want to just i'd like to be with my lady most of the day if i could um, I feel like I'm an, enough of an oddball to keep her entertained most of the day. And she's the right type of audience, you know? She, mm, we come from different backgrounds, so I'm constantly marveled by her approach to life and uh, her take on things and her, you know, the way she maneuvers. Um, and I'm, I'm sure... You know, she probably thinks the same thing with me, but we get it from our environments that we are introduced to or grow up in. And so, uh, so I spent some time, you know, I, 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 I retreated to my, into myself Saturday night. I started reading, I read a little more and I was reading about, you know, I, I was rereading the, uh, I've been rereading the Noma book and it, and it was, and I'm and I'm finding little Easter eggs that I missed the first time around. That's why I reread stuff or re-listen to stuff. And of course, what we see on the surface level, and that goes with any restaurant style environment situation where you see the plated perfection or lack thereof. But in these cases, you know, when these three three Michelin star rated restaurants and the best restaurants in the world. When you get that final product, you don't see where it comes from. Where it comes from is this space, uh, according to um, Jeff Gordon here, he talks about where, like what people don't really realize is like just the menagerie of, of chaos that this has come from, right? So if you pull the curtain back, you look behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz, you see what really comes from you see this kind of 
mm, what looks to be, well, according to him in the book, is this kind of mm, ragtag, half-baked looking kind of storage bin shelving compilation of fermentation, or what they call, quote-unquote, a fermentation lab, where all these all this food comes from, but it looks like a storage area, you know, and, 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 or it looks like an old tool shed or it looks like, you know, and, uh, the actual kitchen itself or the actual dining room itself is very sparse and it's very, mm, you know, like I was talking about, I was telling my mom about the stars do Nord, this, this outdoor eating kind of gathering we're at $700 a plate. And one of the chefs that are part of the part of that whole part of that whole thing his restaurant is run out of an it's out it's in an old sawmill. So it's got that earthy distressed wood style kind of it's not it's not sharp edges and really clean refined corners. It's 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 old wood and it's and it's asymmetrical and it's like I say you pull a curtain back and it, you can't believe that they're producing what they produce given what they have what you see behind closed doors and that's what I guess a lot of what relationships are like and and once you understand that like you know, if you picture, say, somebody, somebody like Paul McCartney, you think, okay, this guy's a billionaire, right? He probably lives in a mansion he, with marble floors, you know, and uh, porcelain statues. But no, no. You go to his house, there's probably cat litter on the bathroom mats and shit like that, which is what I have. But, <laughs> and, and it, although it drives me crazy, it's part of the it's part of the chemistry. It's part of the day to day. It's part of the, the nooks and crannies and the ups and downs of life and the reality. Like you, you know, you don't, everything isn't always what it seems. And I think if you just have faith in, maybe just have faith in the uh, process of things, you know, have faith that you got somebody flaws and all, right? My flaws, her flaws, my folks, their flaws, you know. Um, you just learn to kind of accept a lot of stuff. But, um, yeah, it's always like, yeah, there's never, like, you never, um, yeah, you never, you'll never be on cruise control. You'll always, you'll always kind of, it's okay to have a mental health day and it's okay to kind of fall back and recalibrate things and stop. And when you can't hear your, when you can't hear your own instruments at Shea stadium or when you can, when, when a business model is unsustainable, you got to stop and you got to step back and you got to reshuffle and you got to look at, you got to look under the carpet to see the dirt and you got to look at, you got to see everything warts and all. And, and just and know that it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Right. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what's not all right. Uh, my pick so far for the playoffs playoffs. What? Like get the fuck out of here. So I was talking about, 
and I'll wrap this up pretty quick for you here, but my first two, let's see. So Saturday was the Niners Seahawks and I kind of predicted the Niners skull fucking the Seahawks, but they made it interesting. They were up at the half. The Seahawks were up at the half. They were leading at the half and then, and then they just left the building. The Niners decided they were going to finish out the game without an opponent and run up the score and beat him by what, 41 to 23 or something, whatever it was. But then, and then, no end then. And then, no end then. And then. And then, the Chargers, Jags. What the F? WTF? LMAO? LMF? OG, LFG, what the fuck? The Chargers go up 27-0 at the half. 27-0, they spot. The Jags spotted the Chargers 27 points and still came back to win. Good game. Good game. I had to turn off in the midst of my lady and I kind of sorting some things out. And she's always kind of, I guess I deserve a lot of the flack that I get. Because I'm obnoxious and I'm hard to live with. But when I turn the game back on, oh my God, what the fuck? And like like I say, with these patterns, I, I see the patterns. I see the patterns forming. You know, I saw this happening. I'm like, once it was 20, you know, 27, you know, once they got within like, it was, uh, oh, so then it got to be, yeah, 30 to 20. Yeah, 30 to 20, and then they scored, and then they go for the two-pointer. So it's 30-28. I'm like, they got this. All they got to do is one defensive stop. Jags just need one good defensive stand, which they got. Because what happened to Justin Herbert? He fucking just decided to turn off the valve. That that's He turned off the kitchen sink that's uh, pouring uh, touchdowns. He's like, ah, we don't need those. <laughs> Click. And um, never look back. Right? So you can just tell, oh, they're going to. So once they get this, they're going to do this defensive stop. And then they're going to get the ball back. They're going to march down the field. And they're going to kick a field goal. And they're going to win. And that's what happened. And that's the playoffs, man. What the fuck? Oh, but here's the other thing. So my other. Um, so. Um, what happened in the other, I was watching the fucking, um, the Dolphins and, and, and the Bills and man, they, you know, the Dolphins, uh, made that one pretty interesting. I didn't see that being as close as it was, but 34, 31, Super Bowl still goes through Buffalo, even though they beat a a a roughed up Miami Dolphins team without us without their starter. So it didn't it doesn't send a real harbinger of good vibes out our way via the town of Buffalo and the Buffalo Bills, but a win's a win nonetheless. It's still a W in the W column, right? So. Um, I want to see the, I, I, 
Uh, I haven't. It, it's Sunday as we speak. The Vikes are about to play the Giants. I want to see the Vikes pull it off. I feel like the Giants are going to win. Vikes always lay an egg. Minnesota just somehow, you know, for being a cold weather state, they sure lay a lot of eggs up there. But uh, that, but like I say, you got to play the game. And then tonight will be the uh, uh, Bengals Ravens, and the Bengals should just push their shit in like severely badly. And so, don't tell me what happened. Because uh, if you listen to this today, then tonight is the night. Cowboys, Bucks. But no, what I wanted to say was, um, or what I wanted to clarify was I, I thought, I, I thought, there's no way, speaking of Bucks, Cowboys, I thought, they, they, historically, there, there couldn't have been a team with a losing record that has made it into the playoffs. And I was wrong. Yeah, could you believe that? I was wrong? Fucking wrong? Me? What? Um, so the 91 Jets made the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. The 04 Rams made the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. The greatest show on turf, and they still had Torrey Holt, if you could believe that shit. Uh, but dig this. Not only one, not only two, but three other teams. Is that right? The Panthers, Redskins. Oh, no. See, was it the 2020 Bears? No. 2020 Bears. Is that right? That can't be right. Let me double check that. Yeah, the 2020 Bears were... Oh, no, they were 8-8 eight eight also. The 2020 Bears made the playoffs at 8-8. Eight eight. So the 91 Jets, 04 Rams, and the 2020 Chicago Bears made the playoffs at 8-8. Eight eight. But the 2014 Carolina Panthers were 7-8-1. To make the playoffs in a sad NFC South division. There's something about that division. There's something about that division. But 7-8-1 is... Uh, that one tie is almost a win. It's not a loss. So that's not... It is a losing record, but the tie kind of makes it... I don't know. Funky. But the 2020 Redskins were 7-9. and nine. They made the f- playoffs. And the 2010 Seahawks... Were seven and nine when they made the playoffs. That was a rough year. He had because obviously they won their division, which means that damn the Niners sucked that year. The Arizona Cardinals sucked that year. The Rams sucked that year. Sucking the life force out of us. Just fucking sucking. Just sucking it. Just fucking sucking. Just suck, suck, sucking like a Dyson vacuum cleaner. Just sucking. Just, just fucking sucking. But. uh but there you go. So there's been three modern teams that have made the playoffs under 500. Just like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers t- tonight against the Cowboys. The 8 and 9 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
But like I said, you got to play the game. Play the game. Sometimes in life, you got to ask yourself, is this, is this beautiful woman, this, this cherubic life force sucking woman banshee that I live with, this lovable, loving love bug who down beneath all that hard exterior is trying to suck the soul out of you. Is she, am I overreacting? Yes, you are overreacting, you dumb bitch. You dumb, you dumb fuck. You old fuck. Was she testing me or is this necessary for me to just unlock my uptight? Because that's what, I was uptight. I was uptight. Being tired, I, it made me uptight, you know? Like the Radiohead song. I'm just uptight, 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 and uh, so you have to just ask, ask yourself, what in the end, what would Sir Paul McCartney do? And the answer is simple: All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. 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 Love is all you need. I'll talk at you later. Arrivederci.